Takatoshi Shibayama, and you're listening to the Future Design Podcast. Today, I've got Neil Moore, a top content strategist who has been in the media industry for 20 plus years. He's going to talk about the future of content marketing. Future Design Podcast. So. Neil, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Um, you know, the, let, let's talk about fake news. You know, like, <laughs> oh wow! All right, you're gonna dive straight in. Yeah, okay, let's talk about fake news, fake news and fake content and all that. What about shit. news that I wish was fake? Yeah, but who can talk about that? Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about fake news and all that bullshit that's out there in the world. Okay. And how do we control that? How do we know that you know uh, we can cleanse this stuff up? Uh, well, we don't know yet. Um, We obviously there's some really really interesting cases going on. Um, people are trying desperately to get Mark Zuckerberg to show up anywhere to answer yeah. some questions. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't think he can hold out forever, yeah. um, and he'll have to do it. And I, I do think the, um, the the social platforms are going to have to take some responsibility. I mean, the sheer mm. amount of effort and energy they put into yeah. their marketing um, products, you mm. know, to target the right guy at the right moment with the right message on the right platform yeah. and all that, uh, and yet they can't identify a piece of you know inflammatory and clearly fake news. Yeah, I struggle with that. I just don't think yeah. it's necessarily in their financial interest to right. work that out. So I think regulation um, is going to have to be the single biggest motivator. Right. But on an individual level. Um, I've heard about little little things that uh, that might work. So, for example, there's a little app, a little plugin you can get to Twitter. I've heard, I haven't yeah. tried it, where just before you retweet some, mm -hmm. retweet something, mm -hmm. um, it comes up with a little pop up that says, Are "You sure?" Right. And you find once that that moment of indignant, self righteous rage yeah. you get when <laughs> you want to retweet something that's very inflammatory, yeah. if someone just gets you just to take one extra second and go, right. "Are you sure?" Mm. Actually, it's proven to have an effect where you go, oh, maybe, maybe I don't I need do, to do yeah. this. Maybe I don't need to spread this kind of uh, this hate in the world. Right. Um, but what you got to remember is what one side calls hate speech, another another side calls truth. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily truth, but what you know, the more you try to silence one party, the more they feel righteous in sharing their point of view mm. louder and more vociferously. Mm. Um, so I think we've got to deal with, uh, you know, on the tech side and the regulation, they have a responsibility. Mm. On the individual side, I think, you know, people obviously feel like they need to shout about their issue because they, they feel like they're not being listened to. Mm. So we need to stop people spreading it, but we also need to help people who, who have a point of view that perhaps is unpopular or controversial to be able to speak about it. And I, I think, mm. you know, the concept of no platforming, you know, mm -hmm. not letting people speak, right. um, turns them into martyrs and, yeah. and sort of adds fuel to the fire. So I think yeah. that's, a, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do is no platform. Yeah, but I mean, how do you even like go through fact checking that quickly before someone posts something? Or like, I don't know, it could be like, you know, several minutes, it could be an hour before posting something. But, you know, how do you how do you actually do all the fact checking? Right. I mean, you know, it's so hard even even, you know, I've done a lot of like company analysis during mm -hmm. my time when I was in investment banks and hedge funds. And and I go through a lot of Internet material, believing that most of it's true. Right. And, but I can't fact check every single thing out there. 
um, yep. right? And I'm spending all my time looking for that, looking at that data and trying to figure out how to construct my story to get where I want to, right? But yeah. like, but there's gonna be like millions of fake shit coming out on <laughs> on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And how do they get even like? I don't know, algos to like figure these things out. I well, I think, I mean, you mentioned algorithms. I mean, there, there is a group of people out there saying, you know, individuals should be responsible for fact-checking news stories. And mm. I think, well, that's great for individuals who don't have jobs or families yeah, exactly. and spend yeah. all day doing it. But yeah. realistically, no. Um, I think uh, if you are someone who, is cons who has a concern about spreading fake news, yeah. um, then check your sources, you know, go with uh, sort of well-known and trusted sources that... that mm that can be sued for libel and, and sued mm. for slander mm. because they, they have a business incentive not to lie. Yeah. Um, if you're someone who wants to spread inflammatory news, mm. then nothing's going to stop you. And so that's mm. where we need to stop the news getting to them in the first place. Mm. Um, and one of the things to do is to stop calling it news. It's not news, mm. it's, it's opinion or yeah. it's made up. Um, and the second thing is, is I think there's a sort of two-stage filter. So one is um, real news that is perhaps not reported in the right way or reports on hearsay. Um, and then there's genuine fake news, which, you know, normally is just so outrageous mm. that, you know, you should, there should be a filter that says, hold on a minute. This, yeah. this, you know, use your gut. This doesn't sound right. Yeah. Um, but then you've got, you've got this weird little twilight zone of, for example, um, the BBC has been criticized for mm. sort of creating fake moral outrage. So mm. they go, you know, uh, this, this, uh, you know, group of, of people on Twitter, the Twitterati were outraged at blah, 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 blah. Mm. And then you follow that tweet mm. and you realize it's just one guy who set up his account last week and has 12 followers. Right. So that doesn't, equal to the entire population of Twitter, which yeah, is something cool. like 350 million people yeah. being outraged. You know, yeah, it's yeah. one guy. And that's sort of the the manufacturing of outrage. And, and that's difficult as well. So yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I don't have any answers for yeah. you, um, but I, it's, it's a multi-pronged thing. So I think regulation, and we're seeing that's underway. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a guy on Twitter, funny enough, called Jason Kintz. I follow a lot to, mm -hmm. um, who sort of monitors the proceedings on that. And it does seem to be going in the right direction um, in terms of regulation of the tech platforms. I think individuals that want to be, uh, who, who don't want to be responsible for spreading this stuff, uh, you can practice just due diligence through, um, not fact-checking everything, but just does it come from a reliable source and do, mm. does your gut you know, say, mm. you know, this, this sounds credible, this doesn't. Mm. But if you're someone who wants to spread inflammatory news to try and win or curry favor for your side of an argument, Nothing's going to stop you. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we, um, well, I know I don't want to be friends with any of those people, yeah. but there's other people who do. Yeah. Well, everybody like actually enjoys this fake news and wants to repost it or retweet it. Right. I mean, you know, it, well, it's confirmation bias. Everyone likes to see something which confirms something they were already thinking. Yeah. About. And that's what happens is you suspect, you know, that, uh, I don't know, um, Guns don't kill people, people don't kill people. Mm -hmm. And if someone posts something to that effect, mm -hmm. it sort of justifies your thinking and makes you feel clever. Yeah. So you go, yes, oh, look, I was yeah. right. I was right all along. Everybody yeah. loves to feel like they're right and be proven sure. right. Um, is that right? There's a lot of, lot of argument. I mean, particularly in the current climate, in the last few days we've had this mm -hmm. issue happen. And you know, I keep coming back to why does America, more so than any other country, with or without restrictive gun laws have this. And there's mm. two problems. One is there is a fundamental psychological problem underpinning America. There are a lot of deeply, deeply unhappy people mm. there. Yeah. Um, and also they're able to express that in horrendous ways because of the ease of access to guns. So mm. it's uh, one of the problems of the internet right now is it makes every argument binary. It boils mm. everything down to left or right, right yeah. or wrong. You're either with me or against me. There's mm. no middle ground. Yeah. And so it's either guns or it's mental illness. Well, actually, mm. it's probably a bit of both. Mm. Um, and we need to tackle a bit of both. And the irony of the internet is we we have this 
this huge web with with millions and millions, billions even of, of nodes and points of view and mm. opinions and blah blah blah. And yet, strangely, despite the access to this plurality of opinion, mm. it it makes everybody very tribal. Yeah, it boils them down to I'm this side or that side, yeah. I'm Republican or Democrat, left or yeah. right, pro or anti, mm. black or white. Um, and that I find very very strange, yeah. being that. Well, isn't that the sense of like, well, I guess people want to be uh, attached to something, right? And then, mm. and 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 our modern co- configurations of society is so dispersed, right? Everybody's kind of living, uh, you know, away from family, and 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 you don't even know who you're, who what you're attached to. You're not even attached to your local community anymore. You don't know who your neighbors are anymore, especially if you live in an urban society. Mm. And the only thing that you can attach to is going on the internet and finding people that has the same opinion to, to you, and then you and then you latch on to that, right? And that, mm. I think that's how you know all these things start to happen. Is like everybody's some in, in some way a bit lonely, you know. Well, so c- what you're suggesting is that community has gone from something that's location based to point of view based. Mm. So you, your community used to be people who live near you, yeah. and it wasn't based on on the idea that you all believe or think the same. Mm-hmm. So your next door neighbor might vote one way, you might vote another, but your neighbors, so you get on. Yeah. Now your neighbor is the person who thinks most like you. Yeah. Um, that is not something I thought about before, but yeah. there's probably yeah, a lot. But, to but you probably don't even know what your next door neighbor is thinking about in 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 a polit- political sphere or you know it community used to building. come up as much. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why you know politics has become or the internet has become you know the sort of the modern symposium, I guess, and everyone talks politics. But actually, mm. in our real lives, I'm not sure how much people do talk. Yeah, it depends on culture to culture, right? I'm from a culture in Japan, but nobody talks about politics right. because nobody likes confrontation, right? They don't mm. want to uh, have their opinions disagreed uh, and that provoking some kind of argument, right? So everybody stays mm. away from the the, the topics of po- um, politics. But you know, I also grew up in the U.S. where everybody wants to talk about politics. You know, they're like that's a kind of like a common sport that everybody has, right? Let's have an and argument. In Singapore, there's not too much point no, in talking about no, politics. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> you can't even say it. <laughs> no, I, say I, I, I have, ooh, I have a fabulous uh, life here, so I'm not really in any position to complain. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, so this this kind of like. You know, separation of, of people and all that. And how do you, you round people together these days is like put a, a radical opinion out there, right? And then see who come, who's on your side and who's not on your side. And then that's how it creates all this like, you know, fake news because you want, even though it's not even there, you just want to make it create it so that you want to see who's on your side or not. I think that's yeah, kind I mean, of what's you, happening. If you too. create it and you get a lot of affirmation from it, you feel good. And if you didn't create it, but it affirms something you already believe, you mm. feel good. And, and yeah. as we know, these uh, these apps and these platforms have been designed as little dopamine machines. Yeah. Right? So yeah. every time you get a little hit, you feel good. And yeah. the more hits you get, the better you feel. And it's yeah. kind of addictive like a drug. And, yeah, exactly. uh, and drugs are generally considered to be a bad thing. So I guess <laughs> in the same sense, this yeah. is a bad thing. Yeah. But uh, how, how do we you know, wind that... Or, or where do we take that from here, right? Because clearly this is this is a, a social problem, right? It's not just a content problem or, or a political problem. It's like a person problem, people problem, right? Are we lonely? Are, are we getting stupid because we want these dopamine you know, shots all the time? I and mean, wh- what is it that is wrong with us that we can f- identify and say, okay, let's fix this shit? Oh man, that's a uh, that's a bigger question than I'm um, I'm educated or capable <laughs> of answering. But I, I I find there's a lot of conflict in the in the discussion. So, for example, mm. one of the things I wonder about is, you know, I see friends posting you know about America's gun laws or, or whatever it is there, and I think, 
why are you bothered, man? What's it got to do with you? You're yeah. like, it's the other side of the world. You don't, yeah. it's, it's got nothing to do with you. We're also in each other's business. Yeah. So then I think, well, maybe we should just be concerned about things that are a little closer to home. Mm. But then that leads to a certain parochial mindset, yeah. you know, where you, your, your blinkers are on, you're only mm. looking at your own little world, and that's mm. a different kind of bubble. Yeah. So if you're not in a sort of global libertarian versus whatever bubble, you're mm. in a, a local um, bubble of yeah. where all you're concerned about is your community and whatever. What's the right level of interest? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I... I find that I have less time for certain topics since I had a kid um, yeah. because I run my own business. And so yeah. these things naturally um, erode mm. the amount of time and attention I have for certain topics yeah. um, and, and keep me grounded. And that my biggest concern these days is, you know, is my daughter healthy and happy and yeah. going to school? Is my wife happy? And is my business doing okay? Yeah. And things like that. And I think that my, my sphere of attention can only go so far. Yeah. So maybe people just need more to do in their lives. I'm yeah. not sure. <laughs> maybe that's the yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, having a kid also made me be grounded to, uh, to, to the local community as well, right? Because you want to know who, what are the, who are the parents or who the kids are playing in the local park and, you know, are they safe and, you know, or who, who, who in the neighborhood I can actually make friends with. Well, and having kids, you know, that has its own problems because apparently you have, there's a bunch of people called the birth strikers, I think, right. and they're refusing to have children for the right. environment, which I guess <laughs> yeah, is kind of noble. I mean, we are overpopulated, mm. but um, I do find having kids, the interesting thing for me has been mm. that I've been here for 10 years in Singapore, yeah. right? I'm British. I've been mm. in Singapore for 10 years. I don't have that many local friends no. um, because why the hell do they need a foreign friend? You know, <laughs> if I was in the UK, I wouldn't be going out looking for Singaporeans to yeah. befriend. Right. Um, and, you know, I, my wife's who, who is Singaporean, Singaporean Chinese, her, her friends, I guess, are kind of my, but they're more like acquaintances. Yeah. Right? They're not, who are my own personal Singaporean friends? Yeah. And I don't have many. And then mm. you have a kid. And that really forces you to interact with your local community yes. because my community before that was the community I knew through work mm -hmm. or through the things that I'm interested yeah, in. So it's very self-selecting. Mm. The school is is not. I'm not self-selecting. We we we've gone to the school that is sort of nearest and has the more of a focus on the arts, which for us is important. Mm -hmm. And the people who go there are not my choice. Yeah. And so I've been thrown into this mix. Yeah. Um, and you don't like everybody, but mm -hmm. I I feel like I've, I'm finally starting to make some true Singaporean friends. Yeah. Because uh, our kids have brought us together. Yeah. But if you go out choosing, it's like when people say to me, you have a responsibility to, to read multiple viewpoints on a story. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? When Before the internet, you bought one newspaper. You didn't yeah. buy all the newspapers and right. try and understand the whole point. You bought one. Mm. Um, and it was more I, neutral. I think, I think the articles were much more neutral. That's well. true because they weren't chasing clickbait yeah. and you yeah. had a different business model. But I think this idea that you know people um, need to go and seek out other points of view, I think it's a bit utopian. I'm not sure mm. how realistic it is. Mm. Um, I think uh, in terms of, of, of expanding my horizons, being incidentally thrown into a new mix of people through my daughter has made me find new points of view mm. without sort of academically going out there looking right. for them. So I think maybe that's the thing. Get out of your comfort zone. Try mm. and find... Um, new people and new experiences to open your worldview rather than relying on everything coming through Facebook yeah. and Google, yeah. um, which is one of the pieces of advice I often give to um, marketers to sort of swing a little uh, closer to, to my knowledge yeah. point, which is in the marketing and, and content marketing world. Um, you know, these days, marketers say they know their customers because they sit behind Google dashboards and, yeah. and Facebook dashboards and, yeah. and they go, oh, I know what they are because they're points of data. and. Mm. They've, they've forgotten to go out and talk to people. Go yeah. talk to your customer and find out yeah. because, you know, people aren't perfect data sets and, yeah. and things might surprise you, you know. Um, 
Netflix is, is quite interesting in the way that they splice their data is different. They have these 2,000 taste clusters and they mm. find odd things like people who are massively into horror movies are also into mm. baking shows or, yeah. or whatever, right? And they yeah. find, oh, people aren't maybe as, as simple and one you know, one dimensional as their demographic data True. or their click data might have us believe. And mm. I think you've got to have that combination of qualitative and quantitative. Mm. Similarly, if you're only getting your news through the internet and you're not perhaps speaking to people or, you know, um, watching TV or listening mm. to the radio or getting a few different mediums to mm -hmm. come through, I think you're, you know, the internet does a, a much more uh, aggressive job mm. at giving you more of what you already want. Mm. Whereas when you listen to the radio, you get a bunch of stories and mm. they might not all be interesting to you, but you do hear them. They do go in. Yeah. And so you, you get a broader perspective on the world. Yeah. In the UK, there's a, a sort of public intellectual called Stephen Fry. Mm. And uh, when BBC four was launched, we mm. have these, you know, terrestrial TV channels, mm -hmm. um, BBC one and two yeah. were around for a long time. BBC three was launched as a youth channel and BBC mm. four was a sort of arts and intellectual channel. Okay. Opera and its plays and things like that. And someone said to Stephen Fry, the public intellectual, said, "You must be delighted with the launch of BBC Four because you know it's all all the stuff you like." And mm. he said, "No, it's terrible." He said, "Because if I've got the choice just to watch that all day, I'm yeah. going to become so boring and out of touch. Right. At least if I watch the you know BBC One, yeah. whether I like it or not, I'm forced to watch in addition to an opera and the play, some football and a mm. soap opera and the news mm. and a quiz show and whatever." He said, "It makes me well-rounded." Right. So I think. Coming right back around to the beginning of our discussion, you've got me sort of thinking on the fly here, is this idea that in the age of personalization where everything can be curated to your specific tastes, yeah. you are not exposed in an accidental yeah, way definitely. to anything else unless you choose it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think to some degree we need to be um, forced to adopt a, a, a more balanced nutritional diet, yeah, both right. you know, in the, in the meta you know, metaphorical yeah, sense yeah. and the real sense. Um, and and the idea of sort of personal responsibility being your responsibility to deal with that, I think is a is a great idea. But it's been proven time and again that people aren't responsible. Yeah. Now you get into a very dodgy area. Yeah. Of, well, who who tells you what you can eat? Who tells yeah. you what you can yeah, read? I mean, this is I'm I'm asking more questions than I'm answering. Yeah. But it's very interesting to explore how far the conversation mm. goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, but even for your business, I mean, you mm. now know that there's so many so many data sets out there, mm. and and obviously data is just one side of human beings, right? I mean, we're all constantly evolving. Just because this, let's say this guy was watching Netflix, watching <laughs> horror, horror movies and, and, I don't know, chick flicks for like, I don't know, 12 months, doesn't mean that this guy can't evolve and start watching something else, mm. right? So how do you even like, you know, you know project this person evolvement, uh, uh, right? And then, you know, for you, like how do you create content so that, you know, they can actually get what they want, but also, you know, like, like kind of move on, like, you know, evolve with that. So funnily enough, one of the most effective ways is curiosity. Mm -hmm. Most people have a degree of curiosity about yeah. it. And um, at its worst, this led to the rise of clickbait. You know, yeah. this woman opened up a packet of crisps and you'll never guess what happened yeah. next. You go, ooh. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, going to click that. And, yeah. you know, the problem with clickbait is the story doesn't deliver on the promise of the headline, right? But mm. as long as the story delivers on the promise, mm. then fine, uh, that works. So, yeah. you know, for a lot of people at school, physics is one of the most boring and difficult subjects. And mm. yet we have these superstar um, sort of physics professors like mm. Brian Cox in the UK and Neil yeah. deGrasse Tyson. Sure. And, uh, there's the Japanese guy. Well, Kaku. Right. Yeah. And um, what they're doing is they're, they're asking big fundamental questions that people are curious and they're getting people to, to voluntarily watch physics lectures, essentially. Yeah. I think that can be done for a lot of topics mm -hmm. is you can, you can 
raise a more interesting question that piques right. curiosity and makes you go, I don't, I don't know. That's mm. very odd, you know. Yeah. Um, and we've seen this work with shows like um, How It's Made, which was a Nat Geo show, a yeah, Discovery yeah. Channel I think show, I you know. That, yeah. And I have, n- I'm, I'm no interest in cars, right? Mm. None at all. I d- I've never been interested in cars. They get you from A to B. I'm mm. not that kind of guy. Mm. But I remember watching the um, How Is a Bentley Made, mm. and I was glued to it. It's fascinating. Yeah. Because it's you know it's handmade, it's hand stitched, yeah. it's it's a work of absolute craftsmanship. Right. It's beautiful, um, and it got my curiosity not about cars, mm. but about process and mm. and how how the process works and who are these craftspeople behind it and stuff like that. So mm. I think maybe we need to be better at peaking people rather than saying you you should read more of this or yeah. watch more of this or you it's your responsibility to find it. Maybe we can entice them in with more interesting questions right. that will entice people out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And, you know, the way people travel, they, they go mm. to places they've not been before because mm. they want to have experiences yes. that are new. They want to experience sure. new things and they want to be surprised mm. and delighted and, and sometimes frustrated. And that yeah. becomes a story you tell. Yeah. Um, maybe we need to do the same with content. Mm. So what, what's kind of, what kind of content do you see that's like kind of different from the traditional uh, content creation these days. I mean, I heard of like, you know, viewer content creations, like more, you know, the customers are creating, uh, you know, content for their brands and, you know, hashtag it on, on uh, Instagram. So, you know, people can see that and maybe you get a little bit of sponsorship or whatever it is. Right. But I mean, how, how is it evolving these days? So I, I work in an area that's known as content marketing. And, and the idea behind it is that um, previously brands used to advertise in magazines, on TV, on, on movies. But nobody actually won, you know, bought the movie for the ad. No one bought the magazine for the ad. No one mm. went to the cinema to watch the ad. Mm. So why are we spending so much time and money and energy mm. in creating things that nobody asked for? Most people kind of don't want, and yeah. people actually are actively blocking, whether they're TiVoing TV shows yeah. to fast forward through the ads, or they're turning up to the cinema mm. late, or they're deploying ad blockers on their browsers, yeah. like yeah, I do that 650 yeah. million people yeah. have. Um, well, thanks to the drop in, in or the, the, the barrier to entry to creating and distributing content mm. has dropped because yeah. digital technology, you know, we're, we're being filmed here by three cameras that are worth, you know, a couple of thousand dollars each, yeah. whereas before they would be a hundred thousand dollars each. Yeah, you know? right. And that's yeah, right. why we can make all this, right? Mm. So the purpose of content marketing is to say, well, instead of making ads and putting on other people's content, what if you just made your own content mm. and then people will come straight to you? You don't yeah. need to buy ads from other people. They come to you. Right. Um, that suggests that companies need to become media companies. They need mm. to get better at being media companies. And that's where there's a stumbling block because if you're good at making shampoo, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're good at making media. Mm. Uh, if you're good at making shampoo, you're not necessarily good at making ads. That's where yeah. you hire an agency. Exactly. Um, but an agency is a very expensive way to create you know, something that you have to put out every day or week or month. So mm. you need to kind of bring it in-house. Mm-hmm. So you're learning right here, okay? You're, you're not a broadcaster. You told no. me you're a hedge fund guy. Yeah. Um, and here you are presenting <laughs> your own, I don't know, TV show yeah. and podcast. Right, right? Right. You're on a journey and, and you're, you're, you're good at it now. Right. You'll be great at it in five years. Yeah. And in five years, you may have a huge following and you'll be the Joe Rogan of Asia right. or something. <laughs> um, that's the idea. Yeah. That's why you start. And, sure. and the risk to starting that is quite low. You know, that's true. Um, to do this 20 years ago would have cost mm. you a couple hundred thousand dollars. Now it's going to cost you a few thousand dollars. Yeah. So I think the idea is to get brands to start thinking about, well, what if I built my own media properties and then I'd own my audience, I'd yeah. own the ad space, I'd own the data, yeah. um, and I'd own an asset that sits on the bottom line. And, yeah. and so ads which get spent and disappear and, and 
you know, yeah. once that money's spent, you're not getting it back. But yeah. content mm. is an asset that you build on and build on and build on. And eventually you find that you own a whole channel and mm. that, that has real value. Mm. And that value doesn't disappear. It doesn't go mm. away. Mm. You retain your audience instead of having to go chasing after them with a new ad campaign every six months, right. which never gets you any further forward. Yeah. So that's the idea between content and marketing. Now, mm. what kind of content? Well, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> right. But you said that, you know, Lego had a Lego movie and yeah. then, you know, they sell... 15% more or 15 million more blocks uh, than they, they normally would and they made a shitload of money on, on the movies. I mm. mean, is that is that kind of, you know, one example of how um, content creation is like, is changing? So that's kind of the gold standard. So um, mm. the irony about the Lego movie is that um, it actually had nothing to do with marketing. Mm. A lot of marketing and PR people get up on stage at conferences and mm. talk about the, the Lego movies being a perfect example of content marketing. Right. Ironically, it's not. Um, right. because it didn't come out of the marketing department. What mm. happened was is the producer was um, playing with his, his kids one day, playing Lego, and he realized that if they could make a, a mega movie franchise out of a Disney ride, which right. was called Pirates of the Caribbean, mm. couldn't we make the same out of the world's most popular toy, Lego? Right. And so he hooked up with his producing partner, and they wrote a mm. treatment, and they pitched it to a studio, and it, it got very far down the development track before yeah. they sort of spoke to Lego. Right. And Lego didn't even pay for it. Yeah. That's, that's right, the irony. Right. Yeah. It was paid for the Free way ad. movies are paid for, right. which is studio money, private mm. equity, soft money, gap financing, foreign sales. Mm. You know, that's how movies get paid for. Mm. Lego was smart. They took a small stake in it, <laughs> um, which is smart, but they didn't have to. I mean, yeah. so essentially the, the, they got this incredible marketing vehicle that – they didn't even have to pay for it if they didn't want mm -hmm. to. It sold, helped them sell 15% more bricks that year, but also right. it drove an 800% return on investment mm -hmm. on the film itself. The film cost amazing, yeah. $60 million. It made half a billion dollars in box office right. alone, never mind right. downloads and Blu-rays and things yeah. like that. So that's that's the gold standard of, of right. content marketing, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's not that new. It's old as well. So mm -hmm. there is sort of famously the Michelin Guides. Mm -hmm. And you know, have you ever asked yourself why a tire company yeah, yeah. makes a restaurant guide. It makes no sense. Yeah. Well, what they realized was by talking to their customers, most mm. importantly, was that um, people didn't need to buy tires because they weren't driving very far. Mm -hmm. So why weren't they driving very far? Well, they back in the days before Google Maps in the early 1900s, they didn't know if they left their village or their town, mm. if there was going to be anywhere to eat or anywhere right. to stay, or yeah. if they were just going to get stuck in the woods when, the, when it went dark. Mm -hmm. So the need from the customer point of view was not for more tires. Mm. It was for a way to know. It was a need for confidence that they could keep driving and there'd right. be somewhere to eat and somewhere to stay. That's why it's the I restaurant see. and inn guide. Right, right. And right. so they delivered on that need. And then when you've done all that driving mm -hmm. and you need new tires, guess whose marketing collateral is sitting in your glove compartment? Right. Michelin. Who else are you going to think of? Yeah. Right, right. So you take out the Michelin guides. Mm. Now, Again, what they've done is turned it into a, a revenue center because the Michelin mm. guides are now their own business unit. Yeah. You pay $30 for one and mm. you put it in your glove compartment. So you're yeah. paying Michelin to put their marketing collateral in your glove compartment right. $30 a time. Really? So this is the end game, right? Yeah. So that's an, old, an, an older version. Yeah. The Lego version is a newer version. And there's yeah. all sorts of new models being developed. Yeah. And what's like hot topic that you're thinking of these days? Um, the hot topic. Well, I mean, it all depends on the client and the, and the customer need. But one of my favorite new entrants into content marketing mm. is MailChimp. So okay. MailChimp are the um, not quite enterprise level email software. Mm. Their whole market is SMEs, entrepreneurs, things like that. Mm. So they've just launched seven original series, including a podcast uh, and some video series. Mm. And it's all based around the theme of um, taking that great leap 
transforming your life, doing that thing you've always wanted to do. Mm. Basically, that moment that all entrepreneurs have before they launch a business, yeah. you know, where they go, this is it, I'm going to do it. And I yeah. don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to do it. And they have all these shows. So one is about people in their 50s who decide to start a business for the first time uh -huh. after 30 years in corporate. Right. Um, fascinating. You follow their journeys. Yeah. My favorite that I subscribe to is The Jump, which mm -hmm. is a podcast with Shirley Manson, who is the lead singer of Garbage, one of my favorite bands. Mm -hmm. And she interviews musicians about the song that changed their life, the song mm, that convinced them right. to give it all up and become a musician. Right. So oh, you'll have okay. had a moment where you decided to give it all up and become a blockchain guy. Yeah, yeah. And I decided to give it all up and become a content consultant. Uh -huh. We all have that moment. Sure. And, and they're just sharing more of those moments to huh. inspire more entrepreneurs right. to take the leap. And when they do, mm. which email provider are they going to choose? Right. MailChimp. Right. So I think they're a really, really good one. And I, I one of the things I, I'm discovering, and, and this may, may be a way that we combat the whole fake news thing, is that um, one, companies are more liable than individuals for their content, so mm. they really can't lie. Yeah. Um, but two, and more importantly, is in the branded realm, positivity seems to travel further than negativity. Mm. So brands supposed to put out positive messages positive mm. messages travel further yeah. so perhaps one of the things to combat all this negativity is, is mm. some of these brands um, who are also being asked to be more purposeful and meaningful by mm. consumers maybe one of the ways they can be that is to be more positive to right. deliberately use their voice their vehicle their budget uh -huh. to create a bit more positivity in the world right. and this this series about um people in their 50s who are having a sort of second chance at, at life and a second career yeah. Um, bringing in their experience and starting new businesses is just so positive and heartwarming yeah, and lovely. Yeah. Um, and so I think a bit more of that would be useful right, in the world. Right. And then go back, you were talking about fake, fake news, but like, how do you, you know, okay, so you have the positive side of like, you know, let's get people, you know, like really excited about doing something new or getting excited about a certain brand, mm. you know, but there's been always this negative campaign as well, right? So, you know, you bash the other, you know, rival. <laughs> and now, you know, through this election manipulation that the supposedly Russian government was doing to get Trump elected. I mean, you know, they couldn't, they don't even have to go outright and then, you know, even bash somebody. They could just start doing like negative campaigns under the radar mm -hmm. through Facebook or whatever, you know, social media platform to, you know, screw the other competitor over. Right. So it was like, how, how do you even, you know, like, I mean, I guess the Russians didn't even, even uh, get caught for, for actually doing this. And then how, how do corporations, you know, uh, they, they're probably not going to get. Uh, they're probably going to get away with it as well, right? I, I think mean, it works in politics. I don't think it works in the in the commercial world. Partly because um, if if I come and pitch you a service, what's the better pitch to you? To mm. pitch the, the really good things that I can do for you, or to come in and start bad mouthing all my competitors? Mm. You know, I've never found that pitch to work. Yeah. Normally, it betrays a, a, a lack of confidence in your own product. Yeah. Where if you've if you've got nothing good to sell, you're mm -hmm. going around just bad mouthing everybody yeah, else. Yeah. So I don't think that really works. I mean, brands mm -hmm. at the end of the day are trying to sell something, and, and right. by bad mouthing other people, it doesn't work. Right. The other thing is politics. I think affects your quality of life a lot more than your shampoo does. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm picking on shampoo today, but <laughs> more than your shampoo or a pair of shoes does, or whatever. I mean, people do get passionate about certain things. There are yeah. real sneakerheads out there who love to talk yeah. about shoes, and sure. um, I'm very into cameras. And there's people who you know get really passionate on these. Yeah forums about cameras and whatever but you know your choice of camera your choice of shoes doesn't ultimately dictate whether or not you have a job or whether your kid goes to school or whether yeah. you feed yourself mm -hmm. so i think um the level of emotion that, that a brand uh, solicits mm -hmm. is not quite the same now sometimes you have to tell a client that because you know clients want want to believe that that 
consumers are just all they want to do is make content about their brand and be passionate about yeah. it and talk about it all day long. And yeah. I say, well, you you might work in insurance. Yeah you know, all day and, and have done every day for the last 30 mm. years of your career. But for most of us, insurance is something we don't want to think yeah. about. You might, you know, once a year go through, make sure all your policies are up to date and right. then that's it. Yeah. So I think you've got to be realistic about what kind of response you can expect. Mm. Um, there's a, a wonderful, wonderful commentator on the industry called Bob Hoffman, who is very cynical and negative, but does it in a very, very funny mm. way. And I recommend his blog. Um, and he, he talks about, you know, he takes the mickey out of do I do I want a, a relationship with my toilet paper? You know, <laughs> right. uh, you pick up a, a packet of Andrex or something, and on the right. back it says, you know, uh, tell us what you know, tell us your stories of using Andrex yeah, on yeah. Twitter.com. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Toilet paper? No, <laughs> the toilet paper. I'm not going to waste my time with toilet paper. So I think yeah, brands just need to be realistic about what, how much they can expect of of their. Um, consumers' headspace and sort of yeah. passion, depending on what they're selling. Yeah, like there's no point of glorifying toilet paper, is there? I mean, maybe there's a there's a community out there that are really passionate about toilet paper, <laughs> or they're or they're using it for something unusual. What you tend to find is people do unusual things with it. So. You're unlikely to find someone who's passionate about toilet paper for its sort of main usage. Mm. Um, but you might find someone out there who is really into papier-mâché and they mm. found a brand of toilet paper that just works brilliantly for their papier-mâché. Now, yeah. that's the story you want to tell. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the unusual, surprising, piques your curiosity yeah. um, and gives you a completely fresh angle and perspective. Sure. That's creates the story new demand for that toilet paper as well, right? Yeah, and potentially yeah. creates a new market for it. Yeah. And I think you do see every now and again, you know, people finding... About their products are being used in ways that they never, never imagined. Yeah, I mean, I heard about these like hackathons that try to like create new product usage for for a product that's already you know well known for. I hadn't heard of that, but that's yeah. a brilliant idea. Yeah, I that's think that'll really cool. be really interesting uh, for a lot of products that are so commoditized that you know you think I don't know toilet paper, you think of Kleenex or whatever tissue paper Kleenex, yeah. but like if you can think of something that Kleenex tissue paper can do other than people blowing nose. Uh, into it, then you know it will make a new product segment. Yeah, out of yeah, it, right. I mean, completely. And then, and you get a story out of that, yeah, right? So the way exactly. that process happened, the way it was discovered, and the outcome of it, these are all yeah. stories you get to tell, and they're positive and they're upbeat. And I think that's yeah. a that's a nice thing. You know? Yeah, I like to actually start doing those hackathons. Actually, that sounds pretty interesting. I just said it myself, but <laughs> no, no, I, <laughs> yeah, it was what a great cool. idea. Yeah, and um, you know, so. Oh, it went through a lot of stuff, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I talk fast. No, 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 yeah, yeah. It's you know, it, it's fine. I, I, I think I try to think fast as well. But um, you know, for for going to the future and then seeing you know how you know content is evolving all the time, and we see every day that you know people's attention spans are getting shorter. They want to see like, oh yeah, the other day I was talking to a uh, TEDx uh, curator about. Mm you know, how they're crafting their, their um, speeches nowadays. And first, you know, they, they started out with, you know, 20 plus minutes and then they yeah. shorted down to 18 and now it's 12 and they're even thinking about making it shorter because people's attention spans are so shorter uh, than before. Like they're, they're, I fundamentally disagree with you on really? every conceivable level. Really? Yes. Well, I mean, you know, that's what I'm, that's what I've been told, right? I don't think so because I could I could hold a thought more than more than you know I could read a book and sit down for like hours reading a book. I mean, my attention span doesn't go away. The issue but is where where you're trying to capture that attention. Mm. You're trying to capture it on the internet in feed, mm -hmm. you know, in Facebook and Instagram where you you scroll in feed. Yeah. Um, yes, there are attention span considerations, but yeah. there's a difference between capturing attention and holding attention. Right. You you have a very brief amount mm. of time to capture attention, but you can hold mm. it potentially infinitely, and yeah. and the the proof is coming 
from everywhere. So yeah. take Netflix, for example. Now, is Netflix famous for sitting down and watching one episode at a time or for um, binging? Yeah, binging. Yeah. Binging, yeah, right? Yeah. Three, five, ten episodes, a whole series sure. in a weekend, yeah. right? If you look at the Marvel movies, every single one of them is pushing three hours in duration. Yeah. The top three True. movies grossing of all time ever are all over three hours right. in length. You know, Titanic and Avatar yeah. and one of the Marvel That's ones. True. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you look at podcasts are getting longer yeah, um, and there are now one, hour, one and a half hour, two hour podcasts. They are. Um, if you look at books, the New York Times bestseller list, right, for the last mm. decade has been Harry Potter, seven books. Uh, Game of Thrones, seven books. Mm. Hunger Games, three books. Um, you know, there's, there's there's all these sagas. There's, there's tons of them. Mm. So I think, you know, attention spans are very, very long. But mm. if you want someone's attention span for a long time, you've got to invest yeah, in quality yeah, and creativity. And that, I find, is is fast becoming the, um, the exception, not the rule. Mm -hmm. Because in the age of automation, what's happening is, is a lot of uh, marketers are creating a hundred slightly rubbishy things mm throwing them at the internet through programmatic or, or AI engines, things mm. like that, to try and work out which one of them gets, you know, a couple of percent greater engagement than all the others. And then yeah. it's honing in on the one. That's the perfect ad. We're yeah, just yeah. going to use that now. Yeah, it doesn't work but unlike, way, yeah. But actually, it wasn't that good to start with. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that good a thing to start with. Right. So you, all you're doing is getting incremental gains on something that wasn't that yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a worrying trend of, of companies doing that. Now, mm. you might say if you've seen something like The Great Hack, well, it, it works because yeah. they did it with all this messaging against Hillary and, mm. and stuff like that. Um, but again, that was on a very emotive thing and they were they were telling lies. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, we got to work a bit harder than that. We've mm. got to try a bit harder. Mm. Then what do you think of, why, why do you think TED is actually shortening their length of their speeches? I mean, I was thinking if, if, if one speech is less than 12 minutes, mm. one's like, that's just like sound bites. You know, like what kind of real content can you squeeze in in 12 minutes? It's would, just like catchy. I would look at, I don't know, but yeah. I would look at their business model. So right. previously it was an event-based business model. Yeah, you yeah. a big event. It's very prestigious. You got some yeah. big sponsors. You spent lots of money. I remember IBM used yeah. to sponsor, Rolex used to sponsor, yeah. and whatever. Now they've got thousands of events. Yeah. And you can't command as much money for each one because mm. we know, you know way better than me, that economics is based on scarcity. Mm. The less mm -hmm. you have something, the more it's worth. Sure. If you have thousands of, of these yeah. events, they're not worth as much. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. your business model's got to change. Mm. Now, whether or not they're pivoting to an advertising-based model mm. or a, you know, a per-video sponsorship model or a programmatic mm. model, I don't know. No. But my guess is, is if they're trying to go for volume over quality, mm. then the easiest way to create more volume is to create lots of short things yeah. rather than a few long things. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it evolves because Ted has built this extremely credible brand mm. that was based on having, you know, when I first started watching Ted, it was Bill Gates and, and Warren Buffett and, yeah. and Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and, and Bill Clinton and sure. you know, really world-class speakers. Yeah. Now I haven't heard of most of the speakers. Now, mm. sometimes that's because they are eminent doctors and things like that, mm. and I don't follow that world. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's just they are um, self-appointed sort of thought leaders. Right. Um, which I guess is something I try to do. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of personal <laughs> right, branding, but yeah. um, but I'm not asking to speak at TED. You know? Right. Um, so I think they've got to be very, very careful about eroding their brand equity by trying right. to be all things to all people. Right. Um, when actually they have something that so many brands would love, which yeah. is great credibility and quality right. and class. Yeah. So are we should we like like go for the niche when we're creating content then? It's like, for, for me, no size fits. It's like no no size fits all, right? For I me, mean, it's always go for the niche and and. Mm. Not just because you, it's very difficult to find one thing that fits all but without it being very bland. Mm. Um, I mean, Marvel has a huge audience, yeah. um, but 
it's not bland and, and look at the amount of money they spend to reach that audience mm, and, yeah. and you know engage them and get them off their bums to spend 10 bucks to go and see yeah. it right you have to spend a lot of money you have to do something really spectacular yeah it's like the circus you have to bring the circus yeah. to town for yeah. that to work yeah otherwise you could just wait for netflix to to show it right precisely to to but i think with the niche thing it's more about the internet's essentially full like it's got as much content as you'll ever you'll never get through it all. Yeah. It's got something on every subject. The only thing that's new is news, things yeah. that are developing every day and matter to our lives. Yeah. Other than that, everything's there. Yeah. Every shot you can conceive of of taking is is on there somewhere. Yeah. So if you're going to try and and add something new to the internet, I think finding niches is mm. probably the most effective way to do it. It's mm. the only way you can carve out uh, your own little mm, niche, your own yeah. area, your, your your original space, yeah. and and create some noise and attention. And I say this because, for example, cosmetics brands. Mm. Um, when I was running content marketing agency, Click to View, every quarter we'd have a cosmetics brand phone up and say, you know, can we do some makeup tips videos? I'd be like, why? Mm. Are you are you worried the internet's running out of makeup tips videos? Are you <laughs> yeah, like are you concerned there's not enough? Doing it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, and even if we make them for you. What are the chances you're going to beat like Michelle Fan or yeah. you know whoever the the big makeup influencer is? Right. Like, just go sponsor her. Like, yeah. you'll do way better. Um, sure. So if you're if you're a brand coming to the table, your cosmetics mm. brand, for example, you got to do a lot better than makeup tips. You got to mm. do your, your marketing strategy has to be a lot better than I'm going to copy that 17 year old girl. Mm. You know, if you got to do better than that. Yeah. And and I think the better the niche thing and the better thing comes from. Um, an innovative approach to content. So mm. hackathons, like mm -hmm. you said, that's yeah. that's an innovative and interesting approach. Yeah. I think the top makeup influence in the world right now is actually a guy okay. um, who who makes himself look absolutely stunning right. wearing makeup. And wow. you know, no marketer would ever have come up with it. I yeah. don't care. No marketer would ever have come up with that. Yeah. We're going to sell makeup to girls by getting a guy. <laughs> because, but yeah. if you think about it, if a guy can make himself utterly beautiful, yeah. Well, if you're a girl, like it's it's going to work ten yeah, times yeah, better exactly, for you, right? Yeah. I mean, genius. But no one would have thought of mm. that. So, he, so either go looking for these unusual mm. people who are already doing it, have a hackathon, yeah, or go out and talk to your customer and mm. say, "What do you need?" Because right. they don't need makeup tips. Yeah, yeah, they've got yeah. them. Mm. What do you need as a, as a mm. woman, as a human, as, mm. a, as a transgender? You know, woman who, who who perhaps needs help in that way. I mean, what yeah. what's the niche? What's the unusual thing? What's the what's the real fundamental need out there that you can address right. and it's rarely just makeup tips right and and you you were touching on like humanitarian stuff um before we even had this started this conversation mm. um you know where are we going with that in terms of like content creation and like doing social good for this world well there there seems to be a trend that consumers want brands not just to make good products or mm. provide good service mm. They also want them to do a bit of good in the world. Yeah. Now, some people call that purposeful marketing. Some people call it meaningful marketing. Mm. Um, we, we, we acquire things and we want, you know, someone very famously said, I think back in the 50s or something, the 60s, you know, when we buy things, we're not buying the thing, we're buying a better version of ourselves. Mm. You know, if I buy a gym membership, it's yeah. not because I actually want to go to the gym. It's because I want to look great in my underwear or yeah, whatever right. you know if i buy um uh, a new watch it's not because i need to tell the tie it's not mm. what you spend 20 grand on a watch yeah. right you spend it because you want to appear more sophisticated yeah. you, you envision a more sophisticated version of you mm. um now people want to feel good about themselves and and about the world and feel like they're contributing to the world mm. so they want to buy a product that helps them become part of the solution not the problem mm. so uh, you know, brands are doing that. Now, the problem we've got is that some 
brands are not doing that authentically. Right. So it came out today. I don't know if this has been substantiated. I mm. will say that. But allegedly, um, McDonald's transitioned from plastic straws to paper straws, which right. seemed like a good thing. But allegedly, those paper straws are still completely unrecyclable. Yeah. So right. Load, and load of rubbish. And right? you're cutting down more trees. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't an authentic, mm. um, you know, they didn't do their due diligence. Right. It wasn't an authentic thing. Mm. So I think this is a good thing. I mean, you know, we're not going to topple capitalism tomorrow. Yeah. And um, people like to buy things. Mm. But if we can help them buy in a more responsible way, a more purposeful mm. way, a more meaningful way. Mm. Uh, and there's brands who've done that from day one, like Tom's Shoes. Yeah. You, know, you buy That's one true. pair, you give the yeah. pair away. Um, with the immense power and money at the disposal of, of some of the world's biggest brands and, and biggest um you know, the P&Gs and the Unilevers, mm. people who really own huge marketing budgets and have huge influence. Mm. Um, why don't they use that money to do more good? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite campaigns, I wish I, could, wish I could remember the brand now, I haven't seen it for years, um, was, a, was a brand that took the million dollar or whatever budget they had to make a commercial. Mm. And they basically spent 900,000 on, you know, humanitarian projects and then yeah. documented it on a phone. Right. Turned that into their ad. Yeah. You know, that's real... Yeah, totally. Real purpose. That's, they're, that's, they're, that's really putting your money yeah. where your mouth is, not just yeah. talking about it. I mean, a lot of corporates now, I mean, they've been doing it for a while now, but the CSR thing uh, is becoming bigger and bigger. And ah, but you see, I think that might be a problem because right. CSR is not core business. Right. It's it's like a it's like a nice to have. It's a, mm. you know, it stands for corporate social responsibility. Yes. Sometimes it's known as corporate citizenship. Basically, mm. it's what allows you to keep doing business in a country. Right. It's like <laughs> you can use the people and the resources and the manpower and avoid the tax, but you better yeah. give something back. Right. That's what CSR was, right? It's yeah, not yeah, core yeah. to business. Sure. And it's very easy to cut right. when times yeah, are tough. Of course. Yeah. I think real purpose comes from making it core to the business. Mm. Um so whether it be uh, an oil company shifting a massive amount of their R&D mm. into renewables right. or it being a car company shifting masses of their R&D mm. into alternative fuel sources mm. or it, it being um, a fashion company that's shifting all of its you know, factories mm. to somewhere where it's going to you know, produce ethically and yeah. sustainably and whatever. Yeah. But really fundamental shifts. And if they're smart, if the brands yeah. are smart, they mm. can generate such vast PR mm. and commercial value from doing that. Mm. Um, but you've got to get it right because yeah. there are some great journalists out there, right. thank goodness, love uh -huh. the journalists, who are going to catch you out if you don't. So right. greenwashing is to be avoided at all costs. <laughs> greenwashing. That's what yeah, they call like it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, more and more now because, you know, AI or, you know, these emerging technologies is going to take over productivity from, uh, from jobs well from you know from and then people will start to be um, looking for new jobs that are, are not about enhancing productivity but like doing something like social good or enhancing human values and then part of the business mission it has to be towards doing social good right I mean there's no point of like making plastic straws in for this world if it doesn't do social good and mm. I think more and more the shift for, you know, corporate mentality is like, okay, you know, people want, uh, associate us with doing social good. And I want people to know that we're doing it. So we need to like show that to them. Right. And, and it can't be like bullshit. Like before, as you said, like CSR was like complete bullshit. Right. I mean, cause there was like, maybe there was like tax, tax incentives to do it <laughs> and like all these things. And I then, think the it, intention was good. And I've never met anybody who works in CSR that I didn't mm, like immensely. They're mm, usually good hearted people. Yeah. But often it's a, it's a bit of a token gesture. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to be proved wrong on that. Yeah. Um, but I just think if you make it cause a business, it's less likely to be cut yeah. and it's more likely to be sustained at the end of the day. 
profit as a motive to keep doing something mm. is is unsurpassed. Yeah. Um, so if we can find a way to do good and make money, then mm. we're going to succeed. Now, some mm. people think those two things are completely opposed. Mm. Um, there are examples of how they're not. And I think some of the, the innovation um, that we're seeing in the world at the moment um, is coming from that, that exact point, trying mm. to get to the crux of those two things, mm. be it in energy or automation or, um, you know, uh, in developing in the developing world, you know, the, the innovation in, in um, bringing energy to rural communities mm. and stuff like that in a clean mm. way or, or getting information into kids' hands and mm. things like that. I think you're seeing um, people who, who the new businesses get to start again, start from scratch. They're not mm. trying to reinvent an, an old industrial model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's lots of good stuff to say about, uh, you know, where the world's going, right? Because it's not, it's not full of shit. Well, it feels that way, though, doesn't it? Yeah. A lot of the time. And I think yeah. that's part of the social media's fault because yeah. the extreme views rise, rise to the surface. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, I, I, I to, to be absolutely honest with you, I, I, I get terrible anxiety. Mm-hmm. I really do, and I find that it's fueled a lot by what I by reading too much of this stuff. Yeah, and I have to try and focus on the fact that the world, depending on who you believe, but the you know the world is in a better state than it has been in a long time. Mm. Right, the doomsday clock is two minutes to midnight. Yeah. but you know there are there are more people in education. There's less poverty. There's there's more um, opportunity. There's you know all these metrics seem to be mm. right. You have to remind yourself of that, and mm-hmm. and if they're not right, then do something about it. Like yeah. try and try and do a bit of good, try and do a bit better. Mm. The interesting thing about my new clients um, in, in this business as opposed to my previous business where mm. MNCs were my clients is mm. I'm working a lot more with founder-led businesses now okay. um, where there's not a huge machinery they're up against to try and change things. Mm. They can change things because they want to and they see the good and the right in it. And, mm. and I find that very, very inspiring. Mm. Um, I'm not a great leader or, or manager, right? I would love to build a huge company that – that um, does great good in the world. But right. I, I know where my strengths lie. My strengths right. lie in, in the storytelling side of things. Right. But being in rooms with those leaders and trying to help document what they do and, and tell the story of what they're doing right. is as close as I get to doing it. And yeah. uh, I'm seeing, it's like a new breed of leaders. They're not the corporate raiders that, right. that we grew up with in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. They're not the, you know, money's not necessarily the first thing. Money's mm. important for them to mm. keep doing what they're doing, mm. but it's not exclusive to everything else. Yeah, I hear this a um, lot. Yeah. And it's and it's really nice. It's yeah. really refreshing. Yeah, and, and, you know, one of, the, one of the problems I find with MNCs is they have huge power and huge resources, but they also have their decision-making spread out over so many people that no yeah. one person can really make that much of a difference. Mm. And everyone's kind of looking around the True. room for, well, if you go first, then I'll... It's like politics, right? Yeah, well, if exactly. you vote yeah. for this, then I'll vote, and then we'll both bring it up in the meeting and no one can get in any yeah. trouble. And, it becomes very slow, yeah. you know, and these founder-led businesses can just plow ahead and mm. say, we're going to, we're going to do some good. Yeah. And then are you creating like a, a story out of the founders? Cause nowadays like, you know, uh, whether it's Apple or Microsoft or anything, it, you know, you don't think about the company, you think about the founder or the leader of that company. Right. And that's like the, that that's the that's the face of the company. That's what you want to sell, isn't it? I think. I mean, I've heard that when you you approach and you'll know more about this than me, VCs mm. and investors and things like yeah. that. The founder story is very 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 yeah. important. Yes, exactly. But you also know that if you want to sell a company or float a company, it's got to be more than the founder. Because yeah. if the founder leaves or gets run over right. by a bus, yeah, yeah. you want the value to be retained by the mm. brand. Mm. So there comes a point where you want to transition the founder story over to be the company story. Mm. Yeah. Um, so Steve Jobs is this um, groundbreaking rule-breaking artist almost 
you know, he managed to imbue the Apple brand before, with a lot of that. And, mm. and some of that was poured into Jonathan Ive and mm, some of that yes. was poured into Tim Cook. And, right. But a lot of it exists in the brand itself. Yeah. So I think the founder story gets you up and running. Mm. Beyond that, as you scale, there's got to be a company story. Mm. You know, working for founders is very inspiring, but not everybody in a company is going to get to work for the founder or work next sure. to them or see them every day. You yeah. might be in a satellite office or a remote office or just yeah. join the party late when they've already got their corner office on the penthouse yeah. floor. Sure. How do you motivate those people? Mm. You've got to extend the story out to the brand. Mm. And and that's, I guess, something that I'm doing for these mm. people at the moment. It just seems to be the mm. mission I'm on at the moment mm. is to help them transition their story out of them as the vessel mm. into the company as the vessel. Mm. And the way to do that is, is scale and show how other people in your organization mm. and in your vendors and in your partners and your, and your customers mm. also embody those values, whatever they might mm. be. Um, so for one of the people I'm working for is a fashion brand and yeah. the guy's put his money where his mouth is, built a whole new factory in Vietnam, oh. uh, filled it with you know, people, incredible working environment for them, yeah. you know, leagues ahead of all the other factories that, yeah. that make clothes around him. Um, and he, he tries to sell that to uh, other brands. He says, come mm. and make your, your clothes with me. I'll make them right. And right. the other brands go, yeah. not, not, not fussed right. really. So he then went, well, right, I'm going to make my own brand then. Mm. It's very unusual for a factory owner to also make yeah, their own true. brand yeah. of clothes. Yeah. So he made his own brand and whatever. Mm. And, and he's been this sort of pioneering guy. Mm. Um, but it, it, he's exhausted, you know, and mm. he, he's trying to do really, really good things. And he can't be everywhere at once speaking on every stage. Mm. So what we're doing is try to sort of say, all right, all this wonderful thing, stuff you've done and these wonderful stories and mm. innovations you've made. And, uh, you know, let's let's try and tell that story across the board. And now I'm digging. I'm realizing that the retailers that stock his clothes are also stocking them because they're ethical and sustainable. And mm. All of their stocks are ethical and sustainable. Right. I've realized that the... Um, the people that supply his his cotton are all organic, right. entirely pesticide free. Mm. I've realised that the polyester is all recycled. It's like, mm. hang on, you're you're in the middle of this whole mm. ecosystem of people who are doing good things. Well, this yeah. is a huge. This is way bigger than you, man. Yeah. Let's tell this whole big story here. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and that is how you you help scale his story. Mm. Right, and it seems like everybody loves these kind of like good stories, right? And you know, depends a bit on how you tell them, but yeah. yeah. I mean, but like even even going beyond that, like let's say the whole world has become moderately ethical and everything is like you know organic or recyclable or whatever. Like, what's next next after that? You know, it's like that well, I think, I think we've got to get there first. I yeah. mean, we've only just had unpacked, uh, which is the packageless supermarket right. in Singapore yeah. very very recently. Right. Um, so I think there's a long way to go, and I think there's experiments. You know, there's always unintended consequences mm. of doing things. You know, there's mm. a great book by uh, Jaron Lanier, who was one of the founders of, of the internet, one of the mm. sort of forefathers of the mm. internet and one of the people who came up with the HTML language. And he said, you know, in the 80s, we were all digital utopians. Yeah. We, we, we only imagined good things coming from the yeah. internet. And he said, and we were so naive, we, we forgot one very important thing, which yeah. is the guy with the biggest computer wins. Yeah. He controls the traffic. Right. He makes the algorithms and, and he or she yeah. wins. So we've got to be careful about being utopian and going, oh, mm. we've done, we fixed it. Yeah, Problem solved. Right. Because when you start using unpackaged goods, there will be unintended consequences of that. There'll right. be a health scare because, you know, things weren't vacuum sealed and, and yeah. wrapped in three layers of packaging or whatever. Mm. Um, it's a constant process of trying and innovating. And mm. I think to come right the way back to the beginning of our mm. discussion about fake news, yeah. one of the reasons fake news is so attractive is it gives 
very simple, quick, clean answers to very, very, very complicated problems. Right. And I think, uh, and people want that, right? The yeah. world is very complicated. Yes. You just want a quick and clean mm. answer. What's the right way to parent? What's the mm. right, should we be in or out of Europe? You yeah. know? Just give me a quick, clean answer. And there yeah. isn't one, unfortunately. Sure. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the same goes with, with you know, all this kind of doing good with your brand. Mm. It's not just about, well, we're gonna we're gonna start selling things without packages. That mm. that won't fix every problem. There will be things that evolve from that, but it's a step. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the keys is rather than mourning the fact that we, we haven't got the ultimate solution, the ultimate yeah. answer. We never will. You know, yeah. why are we here? God, no, nobody knows. But yeah. we still get up every day. Mm. I think you've got to learn to enjoy the process. Mm. And this gets a little bit hippie, but it's yeah. like mindfulness, right? Yeah. If you truly thought, if you if you dwelled on like why are we here what's the meaning of life you wouldn't get out of bed every day the yeah. point is to enjoy the moments mm. um, regardless of whether they have any meaning yeah. and it's the same thing with everything we do you know you, we're never going to be in a perfect state and we're never going to fix every problem mm. if you can try and enjoy the wins as they happen mm. and resolve to um, address the challenges as they happen mm. and, and just take it one step at a time um, I think, you know, you can go to bed every day going, well, I did, I did a little bit of good today. Yeah. Didn't solve the whole problem. Mm. I did a little bit of good today. Mm. And you know what? That's, that's, we're going from zero to one. That's better yeah. than nothing. Totally. Um, I think if you aim at going from zero to a hundred, um, there's a few geniuses that manage it, um, mm. and do extraordinary things. Yeah. But for most of us, um, I think it'll depress you because you'll fall so far from the mark. Yeah, totally. So better to, yeah. you know, focus on just trying to, within your small realm of influence, just do a bit of good. Mm. Create something. Don't don't just consume something. Create something. Make yeah. something. You know. Yeah. Um, do something. Just give someone a nice word. Yeah. My my little golden rules: never never send an email in haste. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Write Wait. it. Get it off your chest. Leave it in your drafts. Yeah. Look at it twenty four hours later. Do, yeah. do you need to send it with that attitude? Yeah. Most times no. not. Yeah. If you feel the urge to click something out of just take a moment, mm. take a breath. How am I making the world a better place by screaming at this person yeah. online? No, you know, yeah, I just went through the same thing this morning. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you, if you if you practice a bit of self awareness, you'll realize you 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 get to make that decision probably several dozen times a day. Yeah. You know, um, a perfect example. Yesterday morning, I was sitting in, um, I was trying to drive up Temple Temple Road, and there was a guy, and he just stopped his car in the middle of the road, put his light. You know how they do here? They put the hazard lights on. And yeah. It's like they think they're invisible. Yeah, like they can just sit in the middle of the road. <laughs> and he was getting out to get his durian. Right, and. There was a huge pile up behind him. Right. Just getting his durian. Wasn't yeah. bothered. People are a bit, meh, 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 you know. And all these, everyone's brave behind email and everyone's brave yeah, in the front exactly. seat of their car, they right? Are, no one's yes. got the balls to yeah. actually do anything. They're just, <laughs> beep, beep, beep. And, uh, and I got out the car and I was, I was angry and I thought, no, don't be angry. For whatever reason, this guy stops his car. He, maybe he hasn't noticed. I don't know. Mm. And I just went up to him and I said, I'm really sorry. Um, there's a bit of a queue back here. Everyone's just trying to get to work. Would you mind moving the car? Mm. And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Sorry about that. Mm. You know, yeah. I could have gone up and screamed bloody murder at him. Yeah. That wouldn't have helped. Sure. Um, it would have lengthened the process because mm. he'd have got all the, you know, defensive to me like yeah. that. Um, all the other people in their cars are all beeping, disturbing everybody, creating this real tension. Mm. And all it took was, hang on a minute, there, there's a, a very easy way to resolve this. Mm. You go up and you ask him. And mm. I did. Yeah. Done. But, I, you know, my instinct was to start beeping. My instinct right. was to get up and shout yeah. at him. You've got to yeah. just take that breath. Mm. Mindfulness. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all need that in this world, don't we? I think so. We're all very stressed and busy and yeah. stressed out, and just yeah. it only takes know, a little bit to kind of have step a cup back. of tea. Just yeah. chill out. That's what the British do. Just have a cup of tea. <laughs> yes, I love the British way. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Japanese—they yeah. uh, they are pioneers of having a cup of tea, <laughs> tea. and just calming down. Yes, being so. I was once yeah. told on a trip to Japan um, by a 
it was, I think it was a former Secretary General of the, of the UN or something, was giving a speech and, and he looked out and he said, I was supposed to give a speech all about technology, but he said, mm. I see a lot of white faces in the crowd mm. and you're all here to do business. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some tips on doing business in Japan. Mm. And the first tip he gave was the most relevant to me. Mm. He said, you all talk too much. <laughs> he said, when you come to Japan, just sit, yeah. be quiet, stop pitching. The, the deal will be done over more than just... You know, if it's the way we assess things in the West is, you mm. know, am I getting the right products at the right price and mm. blah, blah, blah. That's a consideration, but it's not the only consideration yeah. in Japan. Yeah. It's also, can we do business together? Can yeah. we be partners? Trust. Can we, yeah. you know, and that comes from being comfortable enough to have a cup of tea, sit in silence. Mm. And I did that. And I, and I told my contact, who's working at NEC, I told my contact I'd just learned this. And he laughed and he went, yes, 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 that's mm. you. It is definitely you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, it was very wide was ranging. Awesome. Um, I'm, you know, I don't profess to be an expert on all these things, but, no, uh, but on content, no, neither I, am I. I, I am. Thank you very much. Thank you. Future Design Podcast.